This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins from my Bible Training Center, Nigeria. I trust we've had a good day. Well, this is Christ the Healer class, and um, it's a taster session, so we're making it open to the public. And um, we started on Sunday night, and we began to look at uh, the fact that healing is always God's will for the sick. We established several reasons why that's the case. We said, number one, because healing is in God's redemptive plan. We said, number two, because sickness and disease come from the devil. We said, number three, God not only provided healing under the old covenant, he has also provided healing under the new covenant. We said, number four, Jesus is the will of God in action. And he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. We said, number five, from the standpoint of the father heart of God. Amen. He's a good father and a merciful one at that. Amen. Then we said number six, that healing is the children's bread. And then number seven, from the standpoint of the promises of God. From the standpoint of the promises of God. He has promised to grant whatsoever we ask in prayer, believing. And then after talking about the fact that healing is always God's will for the sick, we set out to look at methods whereby healing can be obtained. And um, we said that basically there are two main methods, two cardinal methods. First, by faith, and secondly, through manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And we said when it comes to receiving by faith, it could be faith in the Word of God, or it could be faith in the power of God. Amen. Both. And then we said the place also of manifestations of the Spirit, how God reserves the right of divine sovereignty, to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, provided it does not contradict his word. And through uh, gifts of the spirit, God does that. Praise God. And then we also said that healing is by degree, based on two conditions. The degree of healing power that's administered and the degree of faith that gives action to that power. We said that healing is not always instantaneous. Sometimes it is gradual. God is in both processes. Either which way we are to keep the switch of faith turned on. And then we then uh, looked at different methods. Went into details about the methods. We said first by asking, demanding for healing in the name of Jesus. Then second, we said praying to the Father for healing in the name of Jesus. And then third, we talked about the prayer of agreement. Praise God. And then fourth, anointing the sick with oil. Amen. Now we said it's not the oil that heals the sick. It's not the elders that heal the sick. It's the prayer of faith that does. And it says the Lord shall raise him up. Then five, we said the laying on of hands. And I said when it comes to the laying on of hands, it can be practiced as a point of contact. It can also be practiced from the standpoint of the law of contact and transmission. The contact of the hands transmitting healing power into the bodies of the sick to effect a healing and a cure in them. And then number six, he talked about gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. One of the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And then seven, we said the best method really is by knowing and acting on the word of God for ourselves. From Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Matthew 8, 17, and 1 Peter 2, 24, we know that we know that we know 
that our diseases were laid on Jesus. Our sicknesses were laid on him. Because he bore them, we don't have to bear them. Because he took them, we don't have to take them. So healing is ours. Praise God. And then um, we went ahead yesterday to talk about hindrances to healing. The fact that the road of divine healing is hardly ever an expressway. Oftentimes it's filled with roadblocks that the devil puts in the way to hinder people from taking advantage of what's theirs. And then some of these roadblocks have their basis in superstition. Some have their basis in tradition. Some have their basis in just plain old unbelief and doubt. Some through, through misinterpreted scriptures. So we said we need to recognize these roadblocks and we need to remove them. So we began to look at uh, some of them. We said we're going to look at seven of the main ones. First, this roadblock that God sends sickness on people. Now that's not true. God doesn't set sickness on people. And then we saw the scriptures, you know, about that. And we examined that. Amen. And saw that God does not cause sickness. He may permit it. Why does he permit it? Because we permit it. Amen. Sickness, like John Alexander Dowie said, is the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother, sin. And then second, you know, my healing may not be God's will. That's another roadblock. That's not true. Healing is always God's will for the sick all the time. Every single time he wants the sick healed. And then we said number three, the roadblock that Hezekiah used the poultice. He used the poultice. We saw what that is. That um, sometimes God may require an act of obedience to release the faith of the individual. And as they act in faith, then they receive their healing. Praise God. And then we said number four, uh, from 2 Timothy 4.20, where the Bible says, Erastus at Bode at Corinth, Trophimus, have I left at Militum sick? Well, the fact that Paul left Trophimus at Militum sick doesn't mean you need to be sick. Why did he leave him there sick? I don't know. There could have been a number of reasons. Uh, Trophimus might not have appropriated his healing. Trophimus might have appropriated it, but he was recovering. Praise God. But we know that healing is always the will of God. It's an individual proposition based on the faith primarily of the individual. Yes, we can carry a bona fide baby Christian on our faith. But in the final analysis, the extent of our blessing is going to be the extent of our faith. Praise God. And then number five, you know, this one out lie of the devil that Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness. We saw from God's word, it wasn't sickness. It was a literal demon spirit that went everywhere Paul went and stirred up trouble for Paul. Stirred up persecution against him. And Paul couldn't get rid of the devil on the earth. Devil has a right to be here until Adam's lease runs out. But thank God, his grace is sufficient. And his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. And through God's grace, we can rise above the buffetings of Satan. We saw the things that Paul suffered in 2 Corinthians 11. Sickness wasn't mentioned there. Amen. It was the persecutions that he faced. Praise God. And then number six, which was where I just mentioned that, which is where we'll start off today. Praise the Lord. Well, I said all that just by way of a recap. Let's bow down our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you because you're a great father, a loving father. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word. I ask, oh God, that you fill us with the knowledge of your will concerning healing in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
that we might walk worthy of you unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We know that healing is always your will for the sick. Thank you because as these truths are further enforced in the hearts of your people, their faith is built up and they walk in health. Thank you because this class will be a, a turning point in the lives of multitudes. Thank you, O oh God, because not only do we take our healing, but we are also equipped to take healing to others as well. Well, at the end of the teaching tonight, we'll be ministering to the sick. Thank you for your power will be present. Thank you, O oh God, for the greater one. He will live big in me, rise big in me. He will flow through my hands. Father, we give you all the praise, all the glory, because we know that mighty healings will be wrought here tonight. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's turn to John. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm suffering for the will of God. That's another roadblock. Sixth roadblock, which we began to look at yesterday. Now, John chapter 9. I read from verse 1. We're going to go from 1 to 7. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, if he was born blind, how could he have been the one that sinned? Where? In the womb? In his previous life? You know, what a question. Verse 3, Jesus answered, neither had this man sinned. Now, the way it is here in the King James, it says, comma, nor his parents, colon, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I was so, now, full stop. Then another sentence. Verse 4, I must walk the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seen. Now, people have said that, well... Jesus said here that it wasn't because the man had sinned or his parents had sinned, but that the work of God should be made manifest in him. Now, before we go into that, the work of God wasn't made manifest on him until he was healed. So if you too claim you're suffering for the glory of God, God's glory is not going to be seen in the sickness. It's going to be seen in the healing. So get healed first. When you get healed, then God's work is made manifest. This man got healed. So you too get healed so that God's work can be made manifest. Amen. Now, besides, like I said yesterday, the Greek text, the New Testament originally was written in Greek. In the original Greek text, it was like no break, no jam, if you understand what I mean by that. No punctuations. It was the translators that put the commas, the colons, the full stops, you know, the uh, apprentices and all that. Where Parenthesis, I said apprentices. Parenthesis, the places that they felt were appropriate. And um, this is one place... Now, we know that the word of God is perfect, but it was translated through human vessels. And that's why we have several translations sometimes that give them um, help to make the meanings of certain things clearer. Okay, I'll give an instance. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he was talking to that thief, you know, Jesus said to him, verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, that's the way the King James puts it, today you will be with me in paradise, right? Now, we know from the epistles that Jesus wasn't in paradise that day. 
when he died, he went to the prison house of suffering, the region of the damned. But you see, that verse seems to say he was going to be in paradise that day. It's the same thing. It's the punctuation. Now, listen to this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise, right? That means that I'll be in paradise today and you'll be with me there. Now, what if we put the comma a little differently? Verily, verily, I say unto you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. So it's today that I'm talking. You'll be with me in paradise. Now, that seems to agree with the Pauline revelation and with the rest of the Bible. Are you listening? So sometimes the, the where you put the commas, the colons and all, it can alter the meaning. Now, in this same place, now because we know the rest of the Bible, God is not a mean God. If God is the kind of God who made you sick, so you won't enjoy your childhood, you won't enjoy your life, you'll go through life miserable so that when you're much older, he can now heal you. You now haven't deprived you of your prime so he can show he has power. Would you serve a God like that? I won't. That's a mean dude. That looks like the devil, sounds like the devil. The devil it's the devil that'll do stuff like that, not God. God is a good God. He's a good God. Now we know, you know, uh, that sickness really is because of Adam's sin. Uh, his treason. He's selling out to Satan. Then Satan became the God of this world. So you don't have to sin to be sick. You just got to be in this world. And then let the devil. Now of course you can refuse to let him. You can stand against him. With the knowledge of God's word. Acting on it. You can tell him no you don't put that on my body. And then he's going to flee. But if you don't know any better. He's going to put stuff on your body, which was the case in this instant. Now, just read it like this. Let, let's look at it again. Verse 2. Jesus answered, or let's start from, yeah, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Question mark. Million dollar question. Verse 3. Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned, nor his parents. What if we put a full stop there? And then we now start the next sentence and say, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Does that make sense? That makes Bible sense. That agrees with the rest of the Bible. Now, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If God's word is to be rightly divided, that means it can be wrongly divided. Amen. So you see, this man, God didn't make him sick. Praise God. Besides, when was the work of God done in him? Was it when he was sick? No, it was when he was healed. So you too. Well, you believe it's so God's work can be made manifest in you. Awesome. Let God's word be made manifest in you now. Praise God. Does that, is that clear? Now, God didn't make that man sick so he could heal him. No. God had nothing to do with the sickness. I can't give you what I don't have. If God makes people sick, heaven will be full of all kinds of sickness. In Ezekiel, book of Ezekiel, as well as in Revelation, we will have read, you know, John, the revelator, the, John the apostle. He will have said, well, you know, in his vision of heaven, I saw that angel. He was suffering with tuberculosis. And then I saw another one. That one had leprosy. And then I saw those winged creatures. I saw the 24 elders. You know, there were those of them that had, um, that had asthma. There were those of them that had uh, uh, paralysis. But no, there's no sickness in heaven. 
God doesn't have sickness. For God to make you sick, he's got to steal the sickness from the devil to give you. But he's not a thief. Amen. So I believe we're clear about that, right? All right. Now, um, you know, that this man was this way so that God could heal him is a lie of the devil. Is a lie of the devil. Scripture that's related to this. Let's go to John 11. John chapter 11. Still on this thing of people who claim they are suffering for the glory of God. John 11. From verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, listen to what Jesus said. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Right? Now, when was the Son of God glorified? Was it when the man was sick or when he died? No, it was when he was healed. When he was raised up. So if you believe you're also suffering for God's glory, then get healed. So that God's glory will be seen. God's glory is not seen in the sickness. God's glory is seen in the healing. Now, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Now, Jesus waited two days after he heard this. By the time he got to the place, the man had been dead four days, right? Which means that if Jesus hadn't waited the two days and had left immediately, Lazarus would have been dead two days. Well, either way, he was going to be dead. He would have been dead. Well, if he will be dead two days, we might just as well wait two extra days and not rush there. So that it will be confirmed that he had died. Not that he was in a coma. Not that he took Valium 10. Not that he slept and he's been sleeping. He's dead. Amen. If you could raise fresh cadaver, you could raise stale cadaver too, isn't it? All right. So, Jesus knew there's no use rushing. If we go now, he'll be dead anyway. Praise God. And besides, Jesus had released his faith. He will be healed. God's glory will be seen. Notice again, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. But for the glory of God. Note that. We'll, be, we'll come back to it in a bit. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, um, verse 8. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of the world, of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Amen. You see, Jesus' faith was speaking. Amen. Verse 12. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They thought he was taking a nap. Verse 13. How be it Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, the literal Greek renders that a little differently. The literal Greek actually says Lazarus died. You may say, well, that's 
technicality. You know, if you say something is dead, that means sefini, case closed. It is dead. That's the end. What do we say? He died. Well, he just died. You know, it just happened that he died. Case is not yet closed. Amen. Lazarus's, uh, Jairus's daughter died and then she was raised up. The widow at Nain, her son, her only son died and then he was raised up. So, well, Lazarus died. So, Jesus said to them plainly, he died, you know. And um, verse 15, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, was being fatalistic, which is called Didymus. Didymus means a twin unto his fellow disciples. Let us go that we may die with him. Imagine. Verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now let's go to verse uh, 38. 38. Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha. Uh, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Now, question. By this time, had they seen the glory of God? No. So the glory of God wasn't seen in his dying. The glory of God wasn't seen in his being sick. The glory of God was seen in his healing. So if you are suffering for the glory of God, get healed. Amen. Verse 41. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Well, when did the father hear him? You know, he began to say, the sickness is not unto death. I will go and I'll wake him up. You know, the father heard him when he said that. He had set the law of faith in motion. Praise God. You see, every kind of faith, from saving faith, the general faith, to the gift of special faith, they walk by the same principle. Believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. Now, verse 42 and I knew that thou hast heard me, that, that thou hearest me always, because, uh, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Lose him and let him go. Now, when was God's glory seen? In his healing. Amen. God is not glorified in sickness. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. The Bible says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. A body wasted away with sickness doesn't bring glory to God. God is glorified in our healing. You see, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Why did he do that? In the Old Testament, there was a man who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath. And according to the law, he was stoned to death. Because they weren't meant to walk on the Sabbath. But Jesus told the man on the Sabbath to take his bed and walk. Why did he do that? Because he wanted, God wanted us to see the fact that the body of man means so much to him. Amen. That healing is holy. Healing is noble. 
Healing is God's will. It's special to the heart of God. It wasn't a side issue with, the, with Jesus. It wasn't a side issue with the early church. It was part of the main deal. Amen. God wants us well. Praise the Lord. So that's the sixth roadblock. Amen. You know, I used to, in secondary school, I was a part of the literary and debating society. So we used to do some debates, you know. And then when you're done with your position, you say, well, I believe I've succeeded in convincing you, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm preaching, it's like I'm still debating. It's like I'm arguing, bringing out the case. No, that couldn't be that. No, that can't be so because of such and such a reason. See, years ago, I used to argue a lot over the Bible. I won many arguments, but I lost friends too. Amen. Then I decided it doesn't make sense arguing. Amen. Praise God. But you see, in preaching, we can still be a bit argumentative and just state it out, lay it out, lay it bare, and make it clear that healing is always the will of God. Amen. So the seventh roadblock, roadblock number seven, roadblock number seven, sickness is God's chastening. Sickness is God's chastening. Now, are we saying that we're not? We're not saying sickness is God's chastening, you know? Before you write in your note, sickness is God's chastening. And then somebody may just see your note and say, is this what they are teaching you people in school? No, we are not saying sickness is God's chastening. We're saying some people say that sickness is God's chastening. And um, why do they say that? Is it really God's chastening? Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll read from verse 5. Hebrews 12 from 5 to 11. It says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now let me ask you, does this say, whom the Lord loveth, he maketh sick? No. It says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye therefore endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now, so he's talking about how fathers in the natural chasten their children. Any fathers in the house? You're a father. Could I see your hand? All right, I'll be back to you in a bit. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which, what's the next word? Which? Which? So it's the same context. The chastening is talking about is correction, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Now, how did our fathers correct us? Fathers who are here, how do you correct your children? By breaking their leg? By sticking a pen into their eye? By cutting their finger? By burning their, uh, their nose? You know? By injecting some, some virus into their bloodstream? Is that how you correct your children? Now, then why do people accuse God of that? See, if God was the way they say he is, 
and he was on the earth today, he would have been in prison for child abuse. He says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us. Now talking about natural fathers. So he's saying that this chasing is talking about we do it, don't we? Our parents chasing us, but they don't kill us. They don't put sickness on us. Amen. Chasing us after their own pleasure. But he, talking about our father God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his, partakers of his, partakers of his, of his holiness, of his holiness. You see, in the Old Testament, when they were going to offer sacrifices, God told them that if there was a, an animal that had blemish, they weren't to offer it. It wasn't holy unto God. You know, maybe it had something wrong with one eye, had something wrong, was, had a defect, they weren't to offer it. But that they were to offer a sacrifice that was holy. Now remember Romans 12, 1. Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. NIV says, which is your spiritual worship. Amen. Part of our worship to God is to present our bodies to him as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, one that's holy, one that's acceptable, and that includes one that's healthy. Amen. Amen. Verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Now, I want to ask you, you know, how many people is it that after you were sick, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness? Anybody? Sickness doesn't bring the best out of anyone. It brings the worst out of anyone. Sickness makes you cantankerous. Sickness makes you selfish. Sickness makes you nasty. It does. You know, it does. It doesn't yield any peaceable fruit of righteousness. So he couldn't have been talking about sickness here. Amen. You see, God has never made anybody sick yet. The Lord's chastening is not sickness. Now, how does God chasten us? How do you correct your own children? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 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 for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So the way God corrects us is with his word, is with his word. Well, God put the sickness on me to teach me a lesson. The last I checked is the Holy Ghost who's the teacher. And sickness is from the devil. God hasn't come to, you know, solicit the services of his enemy and his children's enemy to teach them stuff. Amen. God teaches us with his word. Now, along these lines, people have talked about Job. And after all, wasn't it God that made Job sick so that he might try him? Wasn't God that removed was not God that removed the hedge? The devil came to meet God and said, Look, it's because it's because you have blessed him. That's why he hasn't cursed you. You know, remove it, and then you see. And then people have said that. First and foremost, Bible scholars agree that the entire book of Job occurred just for a nine to fourteen months period, maximum eighteen months. 
less than two years, the entire book of Job. Now, at the end of it all, you know, the Bible says God turned again the captivity of Job. So when Job was sick, he was in captivity. Now, who brought him into captivity? We know it was the devil. Now, who turned his captivity? God did. And God gave him twice of everything he had before. Twice of everything. You say, what about the children he had before? He had twice of everything. He had seven sons, three daughters. They died. Well, after everything was restored, he had another seven sons and three daughters. You know why? Those seven, first seven sons and three daughters were in heaven. Yeah. They didn't cease existing. They had just gone to glory. So, Job now has 14 sons and six daughters throughout eternity. <laughs> so he had double of everything. Amen. The sheep, the livestock. Now, it wasn't God that put him in that state. Now, people have gone to the book of Job and they've quoted scriptures like, though he slay me, I will serve him. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Who said that? Job said it. You see, everything in the Bible is a statement of truth. Well, is everything in the Bible a statement of truth? Should be the question. Well, not necessarily, depending on who said it and what they were talking about. Everything in the Bible is truly stated. But not necessarily every statement in the Bible is a statement of truth. And let me qualify that. You see, the word of God is truth. What I mean is this. In the Bible, there are some statements that the devil made. For instance, it's in the Bible, if you are the son of God, jump down. For he has said he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, that's truly stated. But is that a statement of truth? Is God saying that if you're a son of God, go to Empire State Building, New York, or go to Coco House, or go to, you know, uh, 1004 in Lagos and jump down? Is God say, telling us to do that? It's in the book of Job. You know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's there. But who said it? Job said, made those statements. At the end of the day, the Bible says that God, uh, God's word makes it clear that Job later saw that he spoke words without knowledge. Those are some of those words without knowledge. Was it God that slew Job? It wasn't God. It wasn't God. Who did? The devil did. How come? Why did God give the devil permission to afflict Job? Because Job gave the devil permission. Job 3.25 the thing which I have greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of has befallen me. I was not in safety. You know, I was afraid. Yet trouble came. Of course, it was going to come. Remember Isaiah 54 verse 14. The Bible says, In righteousness shall thou be established. You will be far from oppression because you do not fear. And from terror for it shall not come near you. So, if you don't fear, you'll be far from oppression. And that tells me that if you fear, you will be oppressed. It's spiritual law. Job wasn't fair. He opened the door to the devil. The devil wasn't even smart enough to know that Job had opened the door. Who opened the door? Not God. Job did through his fear. Through his fear. Through his fear. Is that clear? God doesn't make anybody sick. He hasn't made anybody sick yet. Well, maybe I'm another Job. Well, if you're another Job, you're going to live 140 years after. You are going to enjoy, you are going to be the richest man around because that's what Job was. He had twice of everything he had before. He was loaded. His daughters were the most beautiful. Yeah, it's in the book. And God turned the captivity of Job. So when Job was in captivity, it wasn't God that did it. 
God turned his captivity. So all those boils, it wasn't God that did it. The devil did it. Why was the devil able to do it? Because Job was afraid. You see, we have to interpret the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Bible is progressive revelation. We have to interpret scripture in the light of scripture. Don't take any scripture out of its context. You can and make it say what he wants it to say and it won't be correct. For instance, you know the Bible says Judas hanged himself. You know it's in the Bible. And then there's another scripture that says you go and do likewise in another context. Now you know there's another scripture in another context that says whatever you do, do it quickly. If you put all those scriptures together, I've got the rope on your neck already. Is God saying that? Of course not. So that's why we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. So God wants us well. God wants us well. Sickness is not God's chastening. God is not trying to teach you a lesson. God is not trying to deepen your piety, your spirituality. No, he's not. Sickness doesn't deepen anybody's spirituality. Sickness is of the devil. And God doesn't want to do the devil's goods. Praise God. So, that's that about the roadblocks. Praise God. So, we've established that healing is always God's will. We've looked at methods whereby it can be obtained and appropriated. We, some obstacles to our receiving our healing, we've done our best to tear them down and take them out of the way. Amen. Now, um, we're going to start now to look at how to keep our healing and walk in health. How to keep our healing and walk in health. We'll take that the rest of this hour, just a few more minutes, and then the next hour. Now, if you have questions, if you have questions, uh, please write them down and write them legibly. We'll endeavor to take the questions to answer them from the word of God. Praise God. Just write them legibly. Uh, not this hour, not the next hour, maybe the the third hour today, we'll look at those questions. And then, like I said on Sunday, we'll be ministering to the sick. Amen. And the power of God will be present. And yokes will be destroyed. Burdens will be removed. Praise the Lord. So now, talking about how to keep your healing and walk in health. How to keep your healing and walk in health. People sometimes say this, that, you know, anything God does is forever, right? That's in the Bible. Let me ask you, did God give Adam dominion? Did he have it forever? So it wasn't God that gave him. Of course, God's intention is that anything he does should be forever. But whether it's forever or not forever, you can decide. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It's not going to take it back. But you can lose it if you want to. You can not use it if you want to. You see, God's method of healing is spiritual and it may be lost. You see, if um, man heals, and whether you like it or not, man can heal. Either through the body in medical science or through the mind, Christian science, some of that ugly stuff. I don't encourage anybody to ever get messed up with that stuff, you know. But if man heals, he heals through the body. When medical science heals, it heals through the body. If Christian science heals, it heals through the mind, the mind dominated by the physical senses. But when God heals, he heals through the spirit. Now, what do I mean by saying God heals through the spirit? You see, when Jesus came on the scene as healer, he demanded faith. The two blind men, Matthew 9, 27 to 31, that came to him. 
He asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. The Bible says, then touched he their eyes, saying, according to your faith be done to you. The woman with the issue of blood, he said, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. The nobleman's son, he believed what Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. The centurion, Jesus said, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Again and again and again, we see that faith makes whole. And you see, Romans 10.10 says, with the heart, man believes. So faith is of the heart. Man's heart is his spirit. When we talk about spiritual healing, we're not talking about people's spirits being healed. No, your spirit is not healed at the new birth. It's recreated. It wasn't sick. It was dead. Now, if I had a ball on my nose and the ball was healed, I'll still have the same nose I had before, just that the ball will be gone. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So you're not the same old person you used to be. So our spirits are not healed. They are recreated. Now, when we talk about healing in this sense, we're talking about a man receiving healing for his physical body or for his mind through the power of God, who's the Holy Ghost. And the avenue through which we take a hold of God's power is our spirit. So that's what we mean when we say that God's method of healing is spiritual and it may be lost. It can be lost. It can be lost. It can be lost. There has been criticisms of the mass healing meetings. People come. There's a mass faith. Gifts of the spirit are in operation. People get healed. And sometimes some of those people lose their healing after. So is that possible? Certainly. Turn with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Now if people can lose their healing, it also means they can keep it. Revelation 2. Verse 25. If you have a red letter edition, it's, it's, it's red hot. Jesus spoke it. Uh, was talking to John in that vision. Revelation 2.25. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. That which ye have already, hold fast. What does it mean to hold fast? Hold on tight. Hold firm till I come. If I tell you to hold on tight to something, what does that suggest? Suggest that you may lose it if you don't. Amen. Revelation 3.11. Revelation 3.11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Hold that fast. Hold fast to what you have. Otherwise, you can lose it. Galatians 5.1. The Bible says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, the context of that really was talking about them going back to the law. But you see, anything that, this is a basic principle that works, basically, works in any area. Stand firm, therefore, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Remember in Luke 13, 16, Jesus said, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, Lo, these 18 years be loose from this born on the Sabbath day. So sickness is some form of bondage. You see that? Amen. Well, the bell went off like a minute ago. We'll be back in 10 minutes. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100 or 80 765 761 63